We're going to begin our study of a new section of the Apostles' Creed tonight. And that is, I believe in the Holy Ghost. And what a blessing it is to know the work of the Spirit of God. And I will endeavor in our study of the Holy Ghost to bring out, not tonight, but on another occasion, those seven points of the Spirit's ministry. Because in the book of Revelation, we read there of the Spirit called the seven spirits. And so I believe with all my heart, as I have studied the Word, I guess over the last 50 years, that the seven spirits is a reference to the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit. We know that each member of the Holy Trinity are active in practically every part of uh, the whole scheme of doctrine. And everything that has to do with life and with godliness. And you know from the very opening of the book of Genesis that the Holy Spirit was moving upon the face of the waters. The Hebrew word signifies brooding, even as a mother hen broods over the eggs as well as over the chicks. And I got a surprise today. Mr. Haddon went with me this afternoon to the barn. I didn't know it till this afternoon. And uh, a mother hen came walking along with baby chicks. We knew that some of the eggs were being carefully hidden, no matter how we followed the clucks, because the hens generally sound off with pride when they lay an egg. But... Some of the clucks must have been muffled clucks, <laughs> hidden clucks. So anyway, uh, the Spirit of God was very active in creation as he, and I, I say that, I, pu- I would put generation together with regeneration because generation is generating life, and regeneration is generating life where there was once life. We were once alive in Adam, but when Adam fell and died, we died. So we'll get to that sometime, we trust. So we're going to read God's Word in John's Gospel, chapter 14. John's Gospel, chapter 14 and verse 26. And we will return to this portion a little later on, but it is so beautiful. Uh, You can remember these important doctrinal verses regarding the Holy Spirit. For one is in John 14, 26, and the other one is in John 15, 26. So let's notice in verse 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. 
And in chapter 15 in verse 26, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And this upper room discourse, which the Lord Jesus Christ gave, he was very active in chapter 13 in washing the disciples' feet and speaking to them and about what was coming. In chapter 14, 15, and 16, you have the upper room discourse in John's gospel before they went out and crossed the brook Kidron and he prayed his high priestly prayer. At what point? It's very interesting that at the end of uh, chapter 16, uh, he says, uh, all right, chapter, when he had spoken these words in chapter 18, verse 1, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kidron. So it was while he was still in the near environs of the city of Jerusalem that he prayed his high priestly prayer before he crossed the brook Kidron and began the ascent up the Mount of Olives. And halfway up that mountain is the Garden of Gethsemane where he prayed. All right. The Holy Spirit is the author of all wisdom, spiritual wisdom, and saving knowledge. Job chapter 32, verse 8, a very interesting scripture. It says, The inspiration of the Almighty giveth understanding. That Hebrew word that is translated inspiration there is also translated in other places in our Old Testament as spirit. So it is the spirit of the Almighty that giveth understanding. We are indebted to the Holy Spirit for the scriptures. And we know those wonderful verses in uh, 2 Timothy and in 1 Peter. And I'm going to turn also to 1 Corinthians. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians. I'll, I'll be noting some verses in 1 Corinthians as well. But the, the inspiration of the Holy Scriptures, the giving of that, the breathing of those Scriptures, the very word spirit in the Hebrew and in the Greek, both of them mean breath or wind, a gale of wind. So we read in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So which person of the Holy Trinity gave the Scriptures by inspiration? We are given the answer to that in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20. And I'm going to turn there for a moment because there's so much there to see. That is 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. It's not what some man thinks that dictates 
the meaning of Scripture. Verse 21, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. We are told very clearly that it was the Holy Spirit that gave us the Word of God. We are indebted to the Holy Spirit for the Scriptures, but we are also indebted to the Holy Spirit for opening our eyes to understand the Scriptures and to really know them. You can read the Scriptures all your life, as many people do, and never understand the real meaning of the scriptures. And that's where we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 17. And I want to point out in the context here, in uh, chapter 3, that it is the... Um, children of Israel that are being spoken of. If you look at verse 13, you will see right in the middle of it, the children of Israel. But notice verse 14, speaking of them, but their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. And you know, it's so sad to realize that no matter how much of the Old Testament Scripture is read in the synagogue, and a lot of the Old Testament Scripture is read in the synagogue each Saturday when they meet together, and yet the Scripture says here there's a veil. It is a judicial veil. We have to understand that the natural man, all of us, by our fallen nature, have a, a natural blindness. But for the poor benighted children of Israel, there is also a judicial veil that has been drawn over their eyes. Verse 15, but even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. And the only way for that veil to be taken away, you see at the end of verse 14, which veil is done away in Christ. And what a joy it was to read about that rabbi some months ago. The veil was taken away one day. And he saw and understood who his Messiah is, the Lord Jesus Christ. The veil was removed. Verse 16, nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. There's a day coming when I believe the natural seed of Abraham will suddenly have the veil removed. Now notice verse 17. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. It is the Holy Spirit that causes us to understand the meaning of the Scriptures and reveals to us Christ. 
And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, and He is the one who takes our feeble understanding and replaces that with His mighty understanding so that we can see who the Lord is by faith. So we are indebted to the Holy Spirit not only for the Scriptures, but also for the wonderful, enlightening grace to be able to see what the Scriptures mean. Now, this word spirit, I said in the uh, both those original languages in the Old and New Testament means wind or breath. The breath of the Almighty, Christ breathed on his disciples. In we read in the gospel, he breathed upon them and he saith, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now, the wonderful work of the Spirit of God, his operations, what he does are like the moving of the wind. I remember a few weeks ago when it was so hot. One day there was a thunderstorm and we did not get the rain. Thankfully, we didn't get the lightning. But there was such, on that blistering hot day, being outside, all of a sudden that cruel air from that thunderstorm just blew in on us and we didn't get any of the rest of it but the wonderful cool air. And the Spirit of God, as the wind of God, as the breath of God, does the very same kind of operation. What does a wind like that do? It moves us. It refreshes us. It gives us almost like a new lease on life. It revives us. And so the Spirit of God in his operations does that very thing. So I want us to consider tonight just two or three things. And that is especially that the Holy Spirit is a real person. Just as real a person as the Lord Jesus Christ. The second person of the Holy Trinity. The third person of the Holy Trinity is just as real a person. And there is great evidence for that in the Bible. So first of all, we know that he is not a mere influence because of his personal qualities that are ascribed to him. Understanding and will the Spirit of God has. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, in the last part of that verse, For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. The Spirit searches all the things, the deep things of God. Verse 11b, so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. He knows. He knows so much better than we know. Our understanding is so feeble. 
but his understanding is infinite. He searches, but he also knows and understands all the deep things of God, which man has great difficulty perceiving. Notice in that wonderful chapter on the gifts, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we read that the Spirit exercises His will. The spiritual gifts are given. In chapter 12, verse 11, and all of these gifts are, uh, are unfolded and delineated in the previous verses. But it says in verse 11 of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, all these, all these gifts, worketh that one and self-same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. It is the Spirit's will. It is the Spirit's choice what gift you have. Some of you are very gifted in music and in other things. But you know what we can't do? We can't be proud of what we have because everything we have, we received from the Lord. And the Lord is that Spirit. He is the one, as we read here, dividing to every man severally as he will. It is the will of the Spirit. It is that same Spirit who understands and searches and knows all the deep things of God. So his personal qualities that are ascribed to him, as well as some of his attributes that we'll see after this, but in the second place, his personal appearance. The Lord Jesus saw him coming. When Jesus was standing in the River Jordan with John the Baptist, when he came up from his baptism, the scripture says that he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. But the Spirit of God came upon Christ as he's come upon no other man. All of us have the Spirit in measure, but the Lord Jesus Christ had the Spirit in overflowing fullness. And so he has a personal appearance. And then the personal operation or works. We'll just think about a part of that tonight. His operations or work, that those are the things that are done by a person. What do you do? You could come in here, Brother Ernie, and you could put your hand on Ridley's shoulder and you could say, come with me. The Spirit of God does that. You remember in Acts chapter 8 and verse 39, Philip had been preaching in the uh, city of Samaria, a great revival, and the Spirit of God led him down into the desert, going to the south. And there he met the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch came to Christ, and we read in verse 39 of Acts chapter 8 that the Spirit caught away Philip. He just took hold of him and carried him away several miles and put him down. 
it's an interesting term because people have had trouble thinking about what's called the rapture and how it's going to take place. And the, um, the word being caught up together with them in the air is the same kind of term here that's used in Acts chapter 8 and verse 39 where Philip was caught up. He didn't stay up in the air, did he? He came right back down to the ground. And so the saints are going to be caught up with Christ and immediately come return with Christ in his judgment and take part in that. As we're told in 1 Corinthians, do you not know we shall judge angels? Wow. Okay. So the Spirit caught away Philip and not just a mere influence, a real person caught away Philip and took him miles away. He was found in Azotus. Acts chapter 13 and verse 2, as the uh, church in Antioch ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. He said, separate me. Do this for me right now. Get these men. Because I've, got, I've called them to a work. It was very obvious that the Spirit of God had. Because they had great success in that work whereto he had called them. And then in Romans chapter 8 and verse 26, we know another action of the Holy Spirit. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit, I like to put himself, and I'll tell you the reason I put himself, even though it is a neuter pronoun there. No, it's, a, yeah, it is a neuter pronoun for uh, it. He maketh intercession for us. The Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The reason I put a, Himself is because in the very next verse, he is referred to with the masculine pronoun because he, in verse 27, speaking of the same spirit. The Holy Spirit is proven to be a real person, not only by his attributes, his appearance, and his works, but also by being joined with the other members of the Holy Trinity in the divine orders and prayers. You know the order that was given in the mandate in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. That's so interesting because the uh, Jesus-only people like to say, well, it's... All in the name of Jesus. Well, hold on. It doesn't say in the name of Jesus. It says in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So 
if there's any emphasis put in that verse on any member of the Holy Trinity, it is the Father is given first. And it says, in the name of the Father, particularly, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. But I'm not necessarily putting any emphasis on any member of the Holy Trinity there. I'm simply saying in that verse, the Spirit of God is given equality with the Father and the Son. As he is in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 14, which is a closing prayer of the Apostle in the epistle of 2 Corinthians. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God. Which person does that refer to? You'll see it very plainly in a moment. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion, the fellowship of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. The love of God. What do you know about the love of God? In the simplest, most memorized verse in the whole New Testament. For God so loved the world. Which person? Of the Godhead so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Which person of the Godhead had an only begotten son? Which person? The Father. So the love of God the Father is definitely referred to. So we have the Spirit of God given equality in these passages with the Father and with the Son. More on the Holy Spirit's attributes. He has almighty power. We read in Luke chapter 1 verse 35, the angel told Mary the power of the highest would overshadow her when the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. So Matthew in chapter 1 and verse 18 we read, Mary was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Verse 20, Following, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. So, the power of the highest is very clear in the context. The power of the Holy Spirit. Even as it is in Luke's Gospel, chapter 24 and verse 49. The power from on high that the disciples were to wait for in the upper room and to pray. Jesus told them, he promised them that power from on high would come upon them. And it was the fulfilling of that very promise when the Holy Spirit came upon them in great power on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 and verse 4. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. So the power. Mm. And I have to say, I know Something of that power. I can remember one night when I was sitting at a youth meeting. And I absolutely could not get out of my chair. Until I yielded something to God Almighty. The only reason I went to the youth group was because they had food and games and girls. And... The Bible study was over, and all the kids went out to play games and eat, and I could not get out of my chair. I could not move. 
I was pinned to my chair by the Lord until I surrendered my will about something. It was a life-changing moment, but it was the power of the Spirit that didn't let me get out of my chair. You're going to have to get this right now. And I was afraid I'd be dead if I didn't. And why should I even have such a fear? Because so many of my family had recently been buried. Car wrecks, drowning, and other things. And my close family members, not my immediate family, but first cousins, aunts. Yeah. Wow. So God has power to speak to us. Now, it is the work of the Holy Spirit that sheds the love of God abroad in the heart of the believer. Romans 5 and verse 5, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. And what does it mean to have the love of God shed abroad in our heart to things through a different sense because she couldn't exactly see it. She maybe could see light and a little bit of color, but she couldn't really see distinctly. So she had to depend upon her sense of smell and touch and listening to the birds and learning that way. And so it is when the Spirit of God sheds abroad the love of God in our hearts that we begin to taste and see that the Lord is good. He causes us to know by very personal experience the love of God. And how wonderful that is. It's real. And those of us who are born of God know what it's like to love the one that we never loved before. To have a real love for the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Now I want to finish up tonight in the few moments that we might have left just to talk about some of the heresies that have been promoted by preachers and teachers in relation to the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Even from the time of the early church, there were those awful heresies and the early heresy of Arianism, Arius taught that the uh, Son of God was created by the Father. And then Arius went on to teach that the Holy Spirit was created by the Son. So the Son and the Holy Spirit were creatures of the Father according to his heresy. But... We thank God for the Nicene Creed that was especially in opposition to him. And here in the Nicene Creed, we read, Son of God, light of light, very God of very God, being of one substance with the Father. The Nicene decision was upheld in 381 by the Council of Constantinople. And we thank God for the truth of the Nicene Creed.
Cyprian, one of the church fathers from the uh, early third century, Cyprian uh, spoke these words regarding the Holy Spirit in the form of a prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, and descend from heaven upon us who are looking up for thy benign influence. Sanctify the temple of our body and consecrate it for a habitation to thyself. Gladden by thy presence the souls that are longing for thee. Prepare a suitable abode for thyself. Adorn thy chamber and surround the place of thy rest with a sweet variety of virtues. Strow the pavements with fair colors. Let thy residence be beautified with sparkling jewels and the perfumes of all thy graces diffusing their savor within. Richly imbue thy apartment. Avert from it whatever is corrupt, whatever tends to defile. Render this our joy stable and permanent and let thy new creation be confirmed forever in unfading glory. Very interesting, the prayer that he made. Now, I say that there, the outright denial of the three persons of the Holy Trinity by the Arians was followed several hundred years later by the eastern branch of the professing church separating from the western branch in the year 1054 over the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. They denied that the Holy Spirit proceeded from the Son as well as from the Father. They accept it. But notice, let's go back to John's Gospel, chapter 15 and verse 26. Very important verse regarding the procession of the Holy Spirit. Okay, John 15, verse 26. But when the Comforter is come, notice those next words, whom I will send unto you from the Father. Even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. The um, Eastern Orthodox agree that the Spirit proceeds from the Father, but sent down. You can go back to chapter 14 and verse 26 and just look at that. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I've said unto you. The Father will send him. Okay. And what does Jesus say in chapter 15, verse 26? Whom I will send unto you from the Father. The Father's going to send him, and I'm going to send him. And that's what proceeding really means. They're both sending the Holy Spirit down to his blood-bought people. Now, the Campbellites... A lot of them around us, the so-called Church of Christ, they have um, taught heresy 
in so many doctrines since the beginning early in the 19th century. But this one is so absolutely absurd. They deny the personality of the Holy Spirit and try to rest or twist the scriptures to say that the Holy Spirit is this book. My Bible tells me that the Holy Spirit inspired this book. So, is the Holy Spirit supposed to somehow inspire himself? <laughs> he breathed the scriptures into human penmen, but it is absurd to teach that he is the scripture itself. Thus, the Campbellites are also in denial of the Trinitarian Almighty God. You know, there were wild heretics in the Middle Ages, and some showed up in the time of the Reformation. They were rebuked by Calvin and Luther. They were written against. They were run out of town. They were somewhat like modern charismatics, claiming prophetic gifts of the Holy Spirit and going into all types of excesses during the Reformation, such as polygamy and other wicked things. In the midst of the revival times in Scotland, the great Presbyterian pulpiteer Edward Irving involved himself with the prophecies, visions, and tongues of the charismatics of that day, thus losing his great an influential gospel ministry. But many of the charismatics of 2023 are also deniers of the Holy Trinity. Not all of them, but many of them deny the doctrine of the Holy Trinity that was held, that is held by all the truly orthodox biblical churches. They say, it's all Jesus. Don't talk about the Father and the Holy Spirit. It's, it's all Jesus. No. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We pray for a mighty outpouring of his power and grace and revival and reformation. And we expect his great work among the Jews. We look forward to the best days of the church in its history on earth, which are still yet in the future.